Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Baylife Church Port Stephen. We hope you find this message challenges and inspires you in your daily Christian walk. For more information, visit www.baylifechurch.org.au. All those, so it was good to get away and it's good to be back. Um, isn't that, geez, oh, I love that song, that um, Good Father song. Isn't that an awesome song? Oh, I heard that you know, for the first time. I don't, I don't think it was in church or, or youth, but I think I heard uh, on a, on a uh, uh, music track I was listening to and, and uh, my goodness, I went, what? That, that's how simple our faith needs to be. We've got a good father. You are who you are. I am who I am because of you. And it's just, I don't know, sometimes you've got to simplify, simplify things. Just, just cut off all the rubbish, the, the, the crap, you know. Um, just get it back to the heart of the relationship with God. He is a good God. He is a good Father. He loves you. He loves me exactly as we are. And I am who I am because of him. And out of that response, we want to be more like him. Just simplify it sometimes because I tell you what, we can get overcomplicated in our Christian walk, and, and the you know the influences from the world. You know we're you know we're in the world every day, we're listening to the news, we're listening to people's opinions, and uh, just just cut it back sometimes, and just get back to the core of what it's all about. And this morning I'm sort of doing that a little bit with this message. We're looking at uh, this this um, series called Empower, and we're we're getting through the Book of Acts and. Uh, and I realise we've just we've gone past. We were on holidays, obviously, in the middle of the year, and it's the first time I've been able to preach since then. And I just wanted to recap, re-engage, re-think about who we are as a church. And uh, and if you're new here, this, this might help you. If you've been here for a while, hopefully that'll remind you of, of who we are. Um, you know, because our mission is to reach and positively influence our community and our world. By building a significant church, we don't apologise for that. But a church that loves God, loves people and loves life. And, and, you know, for some people, they think, oh, that's a little bit arrogant, Greg. You know, to build a significant church, you know, shouldn't you build a church that God wants you? Don't you think God wants his church to be significant on this earth? To have a positive influence in our community, in our world, in our friends, in our families? Of course he does. Of course he does. You know, and, uh, and and I hope we are a church that loves God with all our heart, that loves people, and, and enjoys it on the way through. You know, we, we don't have to get all intense and all. We don't. Just just have to relax sometimes into what God's got for us, and it's not all good. He never promised us that. You know, I, I thought about this yesterday when I was gardening. Robin was in Sydney the day she went to. A musical for a birthday. The girls bought her a, a ticket to what'd you go to see? Matilda. I wasn't interested at all, <laughs> and um, I don't know why. But you know, um, but I had the day in the garden and and just just fixing things. And you know, blokes are best when they're using their hands. I reckon that's the, that engages our brain or allows our brain to get engaged, perhaps. And. Uh, and I just thought, you know, we, we so often say, you know, I want to be more like Jesus, I want to be more like in God's image, and, 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 and then we get stunned when we, when we get 
persecuted or, or we get this, this trouble or there's issues or there's, you know, we, we, get, we get surprised with that. And you go, hang on, if you want to be more like Jesus, guess what happened to Jesus? He was persecuted. He was murdered. He was lied about. There, there was accusations. There, there was, he was hung on a cross. He was crucified. You go, and we get surprised by that in our life sometimes when we have troubles. When the Bible clearly says, you know, don't be surprised. It's going to happen. It will happen. Okay. Our vision for this year is, is engage. Um, for 2015 is engage. And we've got the banners everywhere around the sides. And, and, uh, um, you know, and, and basically engage means this, to occupy or attract someone's interest or attention, to participate or become involved in. And the adjective is that committed in a particular aim or cause. And that Hebrew, let us throw off everything that hinders, everything that's hit. Let's throw off anything that holds us back from God, from being fully engaged with God, the purpose of God in our lives, uh, in our families, in our church, in our community, our nation, our world. And, and so we have to sometimes think about what is holding me back in my walk with God? What does that look like? What, what do I, what's weighing me down? What, what do I need to think about and throw off so that my relationship with God can go to a new level? See, If you're a mature Christian here this morning, how can I put this and make some sense? You know, we, our mission statement is to, to reach and positively influence our community and world. And, and we, we structure our church that way so, so that when people come in here, they feel a little bit comfortable. You know, I know it's impossible to feel completely comfortable in a, in a foreign environment. But, but if you're a mature Christian, you have to be self motivated to keep your, your, your walk with God growing. You, I can't do it. I don't want to do it, to be truthful. I've seen churches that have just become all teaching and all and, and, and deeper and deeper and you go, and they become inward looking and they end up not doing anything good in the world at all. You know, and people look on and, and they wonder what it's all about. And, and often I think maybe that's, that's where cults start, you know, because they get so inward looking and so deeper and deeper and unless, you know, look at the word more and, and you know, unless, unless, you go, that's not going to reach the world. Seriously, it's not. It's not going to reach this community. Of course we need a biblical foundation, no doubt. I don't know how I got onto that, but anyway, um, you know, j- just engage with what God has got for you and for our church and the cause of Christ. You know, and I thought about it and I thought, have we talked about Engage very much this year? Well, I look back and we've actually talked about Engage, uh, that vision, about 12 times in, in the first half of this year. You know, with engaging with God, our community, with people, with prayer. NADOC Day was even, you know, just a, a consequence of that. Um, uh, Alpha is another consequence of that. It's engaging with our community, doing a program that the people can come in and ask all the questions and, and I think we've got 50 or 60 people signed up for it tonight and, and you know, there's, there's sort of 15 or 20 that, that, that don't come to church, don't know anything about, well they know about the church obviously, but, but they don't, they're not believers, they, they don't believe what we believe necessarily and that's great, you know, and, and that's a direct outworking of, of uh, our vision for this year. You know, we took up our miracle offering in late in June and, and, and thank you to all you amazing people because, you know, um, probably we didn't do a great job of promoting that this year. You know, I feel that's probably the case and, and, and I guess my job is to do that but in one way it's not to sell you on the idea of what we're doing 
Look, just, just align your heart with God and what the church is doing and just make your choices out of that. I, I, you know, I don't want to try and sell you on the idea of what we're doing. Do it or don't do it. It doesn't really matter. Just do what God wants, wants you to do in that process. And, and here's the thing. Our vision isn't the buildings. <laughs> vision isn't the buildings. Property and buildings are a vehicle in which helping people, helping us to engage with people in our community and our world, connecting with our community. You see, we use our buildings to connect with so many people, you know, mainly music and, and, and um, youth and voltage and, and small groups and, and community groups and functions and alpha and church and, and all sorts of different things that we do. Buildings aren't the vision, they are the vehicle. And maybe I haven't explained that very well recently, but, but you know, buildings aren't the vision for this church. You know, um, they're just not. You know, I need to recap on this, this series too because it's been a few weeks since we've been on this series on Empower and working through the book of Acts. And, uh, um, and basically, I, I'm loving this series, seriously. This is such a, if you want to look at practical ways the church is outworked on this earth, read the book of Acts. And, and it's directly linked to that, our, our vision for this year, Engage. Um, empowered definition is this, to give someone authority or power to do something, to make someone stronger and more confident, to release them into their potential and their purpose. And, and part of our strategy is to empower you and me to do what God's called us in our lives, in our church, in our community, for the purposes of, of God to be outworked in our lives. And, and that's what this empowering and, and, and you know, and I do want to say thanks to so many people that have been encouraging me with this series and, and sending texts or, or messages or talking to me. And, and uh, it's funny, I was talking to Jimmy after the last time I preached, and he's not here this morning, but, but he said, oh, look, that was, that was so good. I feel, really, I feel really empowered. And I went, oh, that's good because that's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to empower us, um, which is great. And it starts with this central theme. The whole New Testament is based on this theme out of the book of Acts, Acts 1.8 that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in those places. And... Um, you see, the church is a supernatural thing. This, this thing doesn't make sense in the natural sense of things. In, in the world, it doesn't make sense. And Chris covered this really well, um, the, the Acts 5, when we're away, and, and he talked a little bit about Gamaliel, the, the uh, Pharisee, who was a respected Pharisee and, and a teacher of the law. And, and he says something really interesting to Sanhedrin in, in chapter 5, verse 38. He says, Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, talking about the church and the apostles, Leave these men alone, let them go, for if their purpose or activity is human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men, you will only find yourselves fighting against God. That is so wise. That, that is such, such wisdom. Love that. Obviously, the church is a God thing. And, and today, because of those 12 men, we now have about a third of the planet who are Christians. About 
plus 20 billion people who see, them as, see themselves as Christians. It's astonishing. It's astonishing. Okay, so we've looked at the first five chapters of the book of Acts. Now, I looked at chapter 6 and I read it through and went, oh, this is good, I'll get through this easy. I'll get to the Stephen persecution stuff and, and uh, that's, that's the, the good stuff and the, his, his murder. And I've just got stuck in the first part of Acts 6. So I apologise, we might meander a little bit this morning, but there's some great leadership principles in this. And I just couldn't, every time I, I've got, if you see my notes here this morning, I've got notes and scratches and scribbles all over the place because there's so many leadership principles in, in this particular passage that we'll look at. So Acts 6 verses 1 to 7, that's good, um, says this. In those days when the number of disciples were increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their, widows and their, uh, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said it would, be right, would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicodor, Timon, I don't know, the other guys, Nicholas I can say, uh, and convert to Judaism. He was converted to Judaism. He was a Greek. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So I love this. This is a growth problem. This is a problem that's directly uh, attributed to the the growth in the church, this amazing growth in the church. And, And the challenging problems for church leadership under the pressure of growth. You know, there are limited resources, there's limited time, there's limited people available to push through the church into the new level that God is trying to, to open up for it. And here the Hebraic Jews, they're the ones that spoke Aramaic, the Hebrews, um, and they were all the apostles. You understand this, the 12 apostles were all Hebrews, but they weren't Greeks at all. And, and, um, and the Hellenistic Jews, which are the Greeks, the Greek-speaking Jews, remember that the church is only reaching Greek, uh, Jews at this stage, not, not outsiders. But all these people spoke Greek. They had a Greek culture and, and customs and, and probably were quite different to the apostles' customs. But in verse 1 it says this, and, and this is where I got stuck, I must admit. I, I probably have taken too long at this point, but I just loved it. Because it says, they complained against the Hebraic Jews. The Greek word for complained is, is this, gongosmos. It even sounds like a whinge, doesn't it? Gone gosmos. Meaning a complaint expressed in murmuring, a low undertone, secretly complaining. It's the same word used by the Israelites when they're complaining against um, God and Moses when, when they, they, they didn't have food in Exodus 16, 7. But they, it's called murmuring there. And in my concordance, in my Quest Bible concordance, I, I looked up the, the concordance on the side and this is the question that said, here it said about this passage how serious an offence is grumbling grumbling showed Israel's lack of gratitude and trust which damages any relationship I thought whoa grumbling showed Israel's lack of gratitude and trust which damages any relationship lack of gratitude and trust through grumbling 
and, and they are a big deal in our Christian walk and, and in leadership, you know. And, and there's a right way and a wrong way to deal with concerns and stuff as Christians. Um, you know, secretly complaining, grumbling, murmuring, gossip, that's the wrong way. That only brings division and disunity. And, and the Bible tells us how we should deal with those people about warning them, a divisive person once and then warn them twice and then have nothing to do with them. But the right way is this. In Matthew 18 verses 15 to 17, and I've used the message version here this morning because I just like the way it reads. It says this, If a fellow believer hurts, now some versions say offends, some versions say sin against, um, can't think of any other, but, but you know, hurts you, go and tell him, work it out between the two of you. If he listens, you've made a friend. If he won't listen, take one or two others along so the presence of witnesses will keep things honest and try again. If he still won't listen, tell the church. If he won't listen to the church, you'll have to start all over from scratch. Confront him and the need for, with the need for repentance. Offer again God's forgiving love. See, that's the way we deal with conflict. That's the way we deal with hurt. That's the, way, the biblical way, the scriptural way that we need to... Um, approach uh, conflict in our lives. You know, there's a biblical way, there's a scriptural way, but do we take it? I don't know. Our humanness sometimes just won't do that. You know, we'll hold back from that. We, we, we won't, it's too confronting, too scared, or I'm a coward, whatever that looks like. But can I tell you truthfully, I think if we, if, if we as Christians dealt with these things this way, church splits would be a thing of the past. Relationships would be sweeter and more loving and honest within the church. You know? More people would come to know Christ because they see a healthy, loving way of dealing with conflict and offence. But human nature so often wants to take the easy way out, the coward's way out, the, the, the complaining way out. You know, often to anyone that will listen, murmuring, grumbling, please don't, not if you're a follower of Christ. If you really believe you're a Christian, don't do it. You know, if you want to see the kingdom of God built on this earth, don't do it that way, just don't. You know, I can think of a, an example um, in, in this church where... where um, this was years ago, but, but someone was in my leadership team and, and they, they came in, I think I might have been preaching or something, and, and I said, and they came on the end of a sentence from outside and, and heard something that I'd said and took it out of context. I can't remember exactly what it was about, but it was about her husband or a team or something like that and, and, uh, and apparently took it the wrong way and, and got offended and... and and, and then sort of a week went past and some people come to me and say, oh, such and such is really offended with you, what you said. And I said, what did I say? I said, oh, well, you know, I don't know, but, but she's really offended. And, and, and in the end, I had to go to her and go, listen, what's going on? Well, I'm getting all these rumours coming back that you're offended with me. For, what, what for? And she explained. I said, that's not what I said and that's not what actually happened. And, and I got someone in just to confirm that that was actually what I'd said. And she went, oh... Oh, oh, I didn't realise that. Oh, well, that's different. I said, but hang on, what about the 20 people you've talked to? You need to go backtrack and go, oh, sorry, I did. He said, oh, I don't know who they've been told. And I went, see, there's the problem. She can move on 
and deal with it, but the 20 people in the wake are left behind with a, a murmuring, a complaining spirit inside them. And, um, and this is what she said. She said, oh, I didn't think that scripture applied to me when I, when I challenged her about Matthew 18. I didn't think that applied to me. And I said, you're a Christian? You're, you were apparently offended, so why wouldn't you have come and talked to me? You're on the leadership team, for goodness sake. And, and she said, oh, well, you know, I, I don't know. I didn't think of it. And I went, this should be our first response, not the, the last response. It should be our first response. Now, I hope I'm not spending too much time, but, but I just think this is a big deal. You know, that, that, that little article in, in my concordance, in my um, request Bible, talks about lack of gratitude and trust and trust is a big deal as far as I'm concerned. I remember an older pastor telling me when we were planning this church that they'll, they'll like you in a year, they'll love you in three years but they'll take five years to trust you. I went, nah, no, I'm, I'm trustworthy. People, people trust me quickly. T- trust me, they, they do, you know. And uh, no, <laughs> no, they didn't. It took us five years really for the church to go, you know what, these, these people are who they say they are. And, 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 we're gonna, and it took us five years to break through to be able to start to, to move with property and stuff, you know, because people were still going, eh, I'm not sure, and, and uh, you know, it was a funny, funny thing. And I use that five years of benchmarks. So, so I'm giving you a bit of background information here this morning, the way the church works. Because I, I actually think five years is, is a standard which we need to consider for any senior leadership roles in the church and I, I use that from my advisory board you know people don't get on the board unless they've been here for five years I need to see those same people under pressure I need to see what their response is like when this pressure comes on because when things are going well people respond really well but when the pressure comes that's when I really want to know how they're going to respond what's what's going to come out what's going to come out of their their heart what what, what experiences they've been through that have affected the way they're looking at the current situation and uh, um, you know and of course I bring in specific giftings for various tasks you know um, Ron Churchill's we've asked him in a few times uh, Warwick has been in just in different things Ray of course is a business, business manager role comes along to the, the advisory board meetings but, but see when everything's going well you don't get much insight into people it's only when that pressure comes on you, you recognise that. And so just, while I'm here, I thought I may as well um, touch on what the role of the advisory board is because we probably don't spell that very clearly in, unless we do it in the Baylife Central, but that's about the only time. They are the financial and legal oversight of our church. The financial and legal oversight of our church. Accountants, financial people, builders, strategic people, full of wisdom, maybe entrepreneurial, um, you know. And so at this stage, Andy, um, John Murillo, I'm not sure he's here this morning, David Osler, Greg Kent and myself are the five board members uh, at this stage. Um, you know, I've got uh, Eric who's, who's on as a, um, still in that five-year period, so he actually hasn't been signed on as a, a, a um, advisory board member. Do I... And I value them very much, can I tell you. I value their friendship, but I value that I trust them implicitly. I trust their motivations. Um, you know, are they upfront people? No. You don't see them upfront very often. Are they men of integrity and trustworthy? Yes, they absolutely are. And, and, and I think of the church structure this way. 
just I, know, I don't talk like this very often and I realise I need to more often because people assume things on the way through. The church is board protected but staff leadership run and driven, uh, directed I guess is a better word. So board protected. So they look after the legal, the financial, the, all the, the, the insurance type things. That, what do we need to put in place to protect our church? But we are run by the people on the ground, the pastors, the, the leaders, the people in the leadership team are the ones that run it and are protected by the board. Okay, I've taken a fair meander there, a, a detour, but I just thought it was worth it. So, so where are we? We're back. So the Grecian Jews complained against the Hebraic Jews and the widows weren't being looked after in the daily distribution of food. And as I said, that's a consequence of growth. Probably over 15,000 followers at this stage. 15,000 people. Imagine that in, in months. Uh, it's like being forced to staff an area of the church that wasn't there before, that we hadn't even considered before. And... Uh, and I'll try, there's a few things I could think of, but there was one particularly that, that was funny and, and interesting and we had to be very creative. When we planted the church, we didn't have any little toddlers or little kids. You know, there, there was no crash. There, there just wasn't. We had kids ministry, we started youth after a little while, but there was no crash because we didn't have any toddlers or babies. But then we realised people were getting saved and were being attracted to the church that had little kids. But the church, the, sorry, the church, the school wouldn't allow us any more rooms in, in the school to, to use. So we had no facilities for little kids. And, um, and so we, we had to come up with some creative uh, innovations to do that. And so if you've seen the, the church trailers down the front, on the front row at the moment with the Alpha signs on it, and uh, every Sunday we'd fit that out as a crèche. So it was a mobile crèche, okay? So we, we'd put things on the wall and... and, and you know, Jan had a lot to do with that in the early days and we, we'd put stuff on the wall and, and we'd put seats in there and music and all that sort of stuff. And, and we, we, we had to do it. There was no other, no other options like the little cubby house. And, uh, and it, was, it was church growth caused us to think, what, what can we do about that? And I personally love thinking and joy, thinking and meditating and strategizing what we need for the future. What do we have to put in place to grow when growth comes? And maybe I'll live out there a little bit too often perhaps. But, uh, and, and because of that, sometimes don't do a good job of bridging the gap of what, you know, between where we are and where we want to be. And, uh, you know, it, it, I understand that, that uh, people might question in the process of the building fund, well, why do we need new buildings? What's that about? What, what's that going to do for us? You know, we don't need that today. No, we don't need it today, but we need it for the future. You know, if we're really going to make a difference in this place, if we're really going to reach and positively influence this community and world, the strategy I feel like God's put in my heart to do what he's called this church to do. You know, there's just ways and means that I just know when we break through that lid, that thing, it's going to have a significant influence and, and difference in this, this place. And, and I won't tell you them all because... I'm not even clear on most of them, you know. But, but what if we doubled as a church? Well, this is a good question. What if we doubled in a, as a church in three years? I, I was talking to Chris the other day and I said, remember this strategy, this thought we had, we talked about previously? I said, how can we double as, as a church in three years? And, and, you know, if I said to you, well, we're going to double in three years, you go, come on, Greg, how are we going to do that? You know, what, what's that about? Well, you can break it down to really small chunk-sized things. You know, if we would go from... 
300 to 600 in, in three years. What would it take? Can I, can I show you how simple this is? I hope I'm not boring you here this morning, but I just, I just wanted to explore my leadership brain a little bit because I know you don't get access to me that often and you don't see the way I think or, or consider what, what I'm thinking about. But, but, and that's probably a good thing, by the way. <laughs> um, you know, all it would take, just look left, look to your left now, look at the person on your left, look to the person on your right, maybe even look at the person behind. It would just take three, maybe not anyone behind you, it might take three or four people, between the three or four people, to introduce one person to Christ in a year, in a year, three or four, one person in a year for three years and we would double. That's all it would take. Not, not in a week, not in a month, not in six months, not in a semester, in a year. One between three people and we double in three years. So it's not rocket science, it's not, and it's not difficult really, but it takes people taking responsibility and accountability for that stuff. Okay, spend enough time on, on, on the way I think. Let's get back to the scripture. But the apostles knew they were fully stretched. When, when I was challenged about this, they were fully stretched. To take on anything else wouldn't be helpful to the growth they were experiencing. So they were called to prayer and to preaching to the word, not waiting on tables as explained here. And as churches grow, roles have to change and compensate for that growth. And, and here's an interesting thing about need in any church, I reckon, but in any growing church particularly. If you see the need, if you see the need, God is probably positioning you and challenging you to do something about that. You see, if you see a lack in the church, God is probably challenging you to do something about that lack. God's speaking to you about it, you become aware of it, you become sensitive to it and he's probably saying, maybe you should do something about that. Just saying. Submitted to leadership, of course. So here the seven were chosen from the Greek Jews for this task. We're told in verse 5, this proposal pleased the whole group. And here are some qualities required of team members for any ministry as far as I'm concerned, for this ministry and for any ministry role in the church. You see, my role as a pastor, is to prepare God's people, the saints, for the works of service, for ministry. Ministry is what we do every day in our lives so that the body of Christ may be built up. That's, that's what, what we do as pastors, as leaders. It's not actually to do the work, it's actually to prepare and equip God's people for that. And in verse 3 it says this, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you that are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. So here's the first quality I see in, in ministry, you need to have for ministry. You have to be connected. You have to be connected. You see, they chose the men from among, choose men among you. You have to be team members. You have to be connected to what's going on. You have to be, uh, I don't know, trustworthy and, and have a good reputation and connected to other people to be raised up from within the ranks. You can't expect to get a position if you're standing on the outside and going, well, no one picks me. Of course not. You've got to be connected. And it's the way we try to select and, and raise up leaders in this church, you know. 
for me it's often observing people, how they react in teams and, with, and, and in leadership and different roles and, and, and how they are in relationships, connections and, and then it's just encouraging them and hoping they'll to, to go the next step in leadership and do what it takes. You know, without a position or a role, I'm not going to give you a position and role. Do what God's called you and then the position and role become allocated. After. And everyone goes, of course that's the role they should have. Of course that's what they should be doing. You know, people will respect and already, are respected and they're already connected relationally. The second thing is they have to be anointed. This is such an interesting one. Because it says here in the scripture, known to be full of the Spirit. And for Stephen it says he was full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith in verse 5. Now right now you might be thinking, why would you need to be full of the Holy Spirit to wait on tables? What is that about? You know, surely that's, that's over the top. But, but you see, everything we do as Christians, in God's name, in ministry, in our life, we have to be full of the Holy Spirit. We have to be sensitive to what he is saying to us. Ministry isn't just what we do in church, by the way. Far from it. It's everything we do as Christians. And we need to operate in that in every part of our lives. Full of the Spirit, full of faith, to see God's best outcomes for our world, to reach people for Christ, to make a difference. And you see, each of us, each of you, have a grace zone. Each of us has a God zone. Each of us has a gifted zone giftedness and, uh, and, and we have to outwork that and for some people it may be hospitality or giving or encouragement or leadership or mercy or compassion or whatever that might look like and there's heaps more listed in the Bible, I'm not going to go through and if you want to find out what that is for you, do the Thrive course. Our Thrive course opens up the, the motivational gifts and you can identify what it is for you. So, so there, there is that that giftedness of that, that grace zone that God, God's got for us. But, but gifting is one aspect. Anointing has got to be include the Holy Spirit and it's got to include the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so when we see the fruit of the Holy Spirit flow through people's giftings, now that's powerful. When we see that, that's when you see the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness, the faithfulness, the self-control operated in that gifting. That's when you see the full of the Holy Spirit start to operate, the power to be empowered in what the Holy Spirit has got for us and see the fruit flow out of our lives. Each of us has a deposit of the Holy Spirit. Let me just show you this. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6.9, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. So as a Christian, if you're a Christian here this morning, you have the Holy Spirit in you. But you see that the the, the anointing grows exponentially when we are full of the Holy Spirit. When we are full of the Holy Spirit, then we are empowered for God's purpose no matter how menial the task may seem initially. And when we've had that infilling of the Holy Spirit, it's not just a once-off experience, it's a continual experience, a daily experience, a constant experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit. The fruit remains. We stay um, connected to the vine, to Jesus. And, and that's when great effectiveness and multiplication happen in our lives and in church. There's anointing that we need in our lives. The third thing I see here is they have servant-hearted, they are servant-hearted and teachable. It says here they are full of wisdom. These men were selected because of their wisdom. They are practical people that could make decisions. They weren't arrogant. 
They, they weren't even necessarily looking for leadership roles. They were of good reputation. They could be trusted. They were servant-hearted. They were consistent. They followed through on their decisions. They went made decisions into actions, into outcomes. And that's so important. We, we, you can't judge people on their intentions. You only can judge people on their actions. They saw things through. You know, and we, as Christians, are called to be ministers of the gospel. You know, and I've got this personal philosophy on, on ministry and, and, uh, and here's, here's, here it is. And I, I, I used to say it a lot, but I don't say it very much these days. They'll never ask you to do more than Robin and myself are prepared to do. I just won't. I just won't. You need to know that. I'll never ask you to do more than what I'm prepared to do myself. I would never ask anybody to clean our toilets if I hadn't cleaned the toilets myself. Now, I know for many of you, you don't even think who cleans the toilets. My wife still cleans the toilets after 13 years. Now, I'd never ask anyone else to do that unless I'd personally done that myself. And often I go to extensive lengths to I don't know, try to make an example of, of sacrifice that's part of our journey but I wouldn't ask you to do anything I haven't done. You've got to know that. You know, over the years, I've led creche, I've led kids ministry, you know, youth, creative, um, men's. I even tried to lead women's. They wouldn't let me. I don't know why, but they wouldn't let me. You know, I've moved so many people over the years. You know, provided meals, mowed this property for years, set up and pulled down for five and a half years. Because that's what it's going to take sometimes. That's what servant leadership is about. It's actually doing the example of that. And I, and I, I never want to lose the DNA of who we are as a church that's based in servanthood, servant leadership, exampled every day. And, and I know I only get access to you once a week, most of you, and, and maybe I try to pack too much in there sometimes. But you just got to know... I'll never ask you to do more than I am prepared to do. You've just got to know that about me, about us, Robin and myself. And the fourth thing here this morning. We have to be sensitive to current cultural needs. We have to be sensitive to current cultural needs. You see, in this scripture, all those seven were actually Greeks. They actually were Greek names in, in that team. And sometimes we have to be sensitive to the cultural needs of people we are trying to reach. And you would have noticed on, on Nadoc Day, if you were here, you know, we, we, had to, we changed it up a little bit to be sensitive to the elders of the land, to welcome them to the country, the acknowledgement of the traditional owners. Sometimes we need to develop different uh, considerations, different teams, different people for different seasons of church, church life. You know, to reach youth in this church which we do a, a wonderful, wonderful job of. To see this many young people, and there's probably more scattered around the place, is just fantastic in church. But you know what? We're probably not going to reach them playing hymns. That's, that's truthful, we're not. You know? The, the, the music has to be culturally relevant to, to them to actually attract them. So in this instance, these seven men were selected, they were presented to the apostles. You see, it was done, submitted to the leadership, of course. They prayed for them, laid hands on them. And, and, and so it was just a minor problem, but it got resolved. You know, 
More people were released in the ministry and the outcome was more growth. I love that. You see, in verse 7 it says this, So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And remember what Gamaliel said earlier? We, we said that, you won't, you won't stop it if it's God. See, when the word of God spreads and continues to spread today, it's amazing. I have setbacks from time to time, but it's supernatural. And as, as we all work together in unity, it's amazing what we can and will achieve in God. The disciples continued to be increased and multiplied rapidly. I just love that. There's a problem and it causes more growth. Fantastic. It's not just about numbers. I'm not saying that. But, but you know what? To producing disciples and fully committed followers of Christ. That's what it's going to take. And look here, even our enemies can be converted. It says here, a large number of priests came to faith. And there are people in all our lives, I'm sure, that are either against God or against church or against Christians or, or whatever that is. Never give up. Never give up. They can be transformed. Pray for them. Love them unconditionally as much as you possibly can. Let, let God do the work. You know, let, let introduce them into to, to Christians who, who you respect and are trustworthy and, and give a good reputation for our Christian faith. Never give up on that because even our enemies, like these priests, were converted to Christianity. I think I've done this morning. I, I've got a bit more there. Thanks for listening to the message today brought to you by Baylife Church. We hope the message leaves you feeling challenged and inspired to live out your Christian walk. Please tune in again for next week's message.